Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This episode is brought to you by the true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. Full body chills, Rebecca. (laughs) Named one of the best true crime podcasts by Rolling Stone, Crime Junkie covers all kinds of true crime cases involving serial killers, murderers, missing persons, and conspiracies. There are over 75 episodes you can go binge right now, and they have over 25,000 five-star reviews, so we know you will not be disappointed. Full body chills. Crime Junkie releases new episodes every Monday, so subscribe right now, and you'll have more true crime stories to listen to right after this episode. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the true crime review podcast that digs into podcasts, pop culture, and this week we'll look at the new thriller podcast, Blackout, starring newly minted Oscar winner Rami Malek. We'll also talk a little bit about a new true crime podcast with an investigative twist called The Murder Squad. Joining me right now to get all that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and resident Patreon podcaster, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Good evening, Rebecca. What is woke cynicism? It's... He's a cynic, and he's woke. It sounds like the wokeness is cynical. (laughs) I I think the cynicism is woke. (laughs) It may very well be. (laughs) (laughs) Potato, potato. Uh, So, Laura, we have to get the update from you. Yes. Last week on the show, we talked about the three finalists for your Patreon podcast, your charming AF Patreon-exclusive podcast, formerly known as Laura's Brichter Scale podcast. Yes. have you made a decision? And should we insert a drum roll right now? Um, you could do a drum roll if you want to. I mean, that's okay. it's very exciting. Okay. Um, Let me cue that up. Stop talking. All right, Laura Bricker. What is the name of your Patreon podcast? We're going with Leave It to Bricker. Nice. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Because I, it's not going to be for like two weeks, this one. I was out doing what I thought was an innocent nostalgia story this week. Leave it to Bricker to end up finding about two murders in the town. What? That, yeah. While trying to do a nostalgic piece, I was like, this only happens to me. Yes. So um, I think that is a very fitting title. Leave it to Bricker. Leave it to Bricker to find a body. Bricker's gonna brick. Yeah, exactly. I love that. It was an ice pick murder. So I'm like, whew, I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. Wow. What? Yeah. 
Uh, Toby, it's crazy. I, it's insane. Toby's like, and all I've got is a book club. <laughs> it's my superpower, Toby. No our, our last book club, we, we talked about an ice pick murder mm. in part. So there we go. Yes. In literature as in life. Mm. Yes, Lara, only you would discover two murders when you're out recording your charming AF podcast. It's very exciting. It was very exciting. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you in the context it was about this historic store in town that's changing owners and I was interviewing somebody and uh all of a sudden out came a story and I'm like oh that's interesting <laughs> it sure is well also on Patreon right now is the uh after show for this show the CWO after show and maybe just maybe we will finally get Toby Ball's Tucker Carlson story. What say you guys? Should we try to get him to do that in the after show? Yeah. <laughs> after the game story, I mean, I, I don't even know what to expect out of Toby. I was really shocked <laughs> by the game story, the game farm. Yeah, that he was nearly killed by... Poachers. Poachers and lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tuck, the Tucker Carlson story isn't isn't quite as harrowing. Oh, oh well, that's, yeah. that's a shame. Although I guess in some ways it is, <laughs> in hindsight. I have another story I want to know, Toby. Was that a picture of you in, like, Grateful Dead paraphernalia, or were you just... No, that's Bill Walton. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that Toby? I'm like, that's a very young Toby. Um... No, the, guy, uh, the guy from Disgraceland was asking <laughs> oh. for, like best like 30 minutes of Grateful Dead and I put something up and then this guy who I think owns a club somewhere in Texas I was going back and forth with him and he said that he had got that CD based on an infomercial with Bill Walton that ah. he saw in California in like the 90s yeah. so I sent him a picture of Bill Walton wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt wow. hiking in the Rockies hmm. that's very specific How about that? Toby you just had yeah. that like handy yeah. on your phone <laughs> no I had yeah. to google it <laughs> Um, well, I also just want to make one quick uh, promotional plug for a good friend of ours. Can you please read this for me, Kevin? Rebecca's Obscure Podcast Corner. Now, I'm not just making this plug because it's our friend. I'm making this plug because I love it. You guys remember that one of my all-time favorite podcasts is We Didn't Start the Podcast, the podcast about Billy Joel, featuring mm -hmm. my friends Adam Ragusea and Meg Donahue. They now have a follow-up podcast about Sting called Outlandos de Podcast, and I'm super digging it, and I just wanted to mention it to you guys. They do a really good job of talking about both the music, they're still in the police episodes right now, and also the character that is Gordon Sumner. This is Outlandos de Podcast, an album-by-album -album review of Sting's descent into straight money-grabbing. I mean, career. I always get those mixed up. Greed works. I'm Adam Ragusea, and I have just stepped out of a steam bath wearing my metal bikini bottoms. I'm Meg Donahue, and now I can't see. Fate. I don't have to fate. Today, we are talking about the police's sophomore album, Regatta de Blanc, which translates to... <laughs> white reggae. The white man's reggae. <laughs> the white man's. <laughs> It's all in Outlandos to Podcast. I will put a link to that in our show notes. I just wanted to uh, mention it because it's a show that I think people should be listening to and they should also be listening to We Didn't Start the Podcast, the podcast about Billy Joel, because it's brilliant. It's like my favorite podcast of all time. It's better than In the Dark Season 2? No. <laughs> okay. It's, just wanted to clarify. It's different. All right. End of plug. End of plug. Should we start the show now? Let's do that. Okay. 
We're going to kick off the show tonight by taking a brief look at the new crime talking podcast from journalist Billy Jensen and cold case investigator Paul Holes. The Murder Squad's concept is to not just chat about the details of interesting crimes, but to ask listeners to help solve them, too. I'm Paul Holes. And I'm Billy Jensen. Welcome to the Murder Squad. All of a sudden, I realized I was in serious trouble. Literally felt a cold wind blow through the car, and then he grabbed my arm. This is the last time anybody saw Denise and her daughter. And that's when he, you know, stopped dead in his track and got in my personal space, and he said that that's none of my damn business. What else has he done? What the Murder Squad lacks in fancy music and adult beverage selections, it makes up for with legitimate law enforcement perspectives. For armchair detectives longing to help close a case, the Murder Squad could be built for you. Now, I'm just going to break format here for just eight or ten minutes or so, because before I had the chance to talk to you guys about the Murder Squad, I got to talk with someone who knows a little bit more about it than we do. My name is Billy Jensen. I'm an investigative journalist. Uh, people might know me from uh, finishing my friend Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, along with her researcher, Paul Haynes, after she had passed away. I've been on the television show Crime Watch Daily, and uh, I just had a book, an audio book come out called Chase Darkness with Me. And I'm also on a podcast called The Murder Squad with Paul Holes, and I'm also on another podcast called The First Degree. You know, one of the things I think is most interesting about you is the way you came in to being an investigator. I am almost finished listening to your uh, audiobook. I'm loving mm-hmm. it. Full disclosure. Thank you so much. going to give you a thumbs up review on that right now. Absolutely. That's great. Thank um, you. But you came into it through journalism, mm-hmm. which is an interesting story because I think that I'm guessing, and I haven't heard what my fellow podcasters might say about your work and your podcast and your book, but I'm guessing that you probably hear a lot that like people who are not working as journalists or in law enforcement like shouldn't be investigating crimes mm-hmm. and trying to solve them. Right. So can you talk about like how you came into this and what your feelings about that are? Yeah, I was on the road to being a, a crime reporter. And I was working at the Village Voice on Long Island. They had the, a, a paper called The Long Island Voice. And I was writing these feature stories about c- just crazy stuff that you do in alternative journalism. And I had a, uh, an opportunity to be a stringer for The New York Times. And then that worked out really well. Then I had an opportunity to be a stringer for The Post. And on my first call on The Post, it was just so disheartening, the things that they wanted me to do. And I said, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do anything that is like this. And I don't want to do anything that really is, is solved. So I was like, I'm just going to do unsolved stories. Now, when you do that, that means you can't pick your own stories if you're a reporter. So I had to become an editor. So I became an editor and went that route. So I would run newspapers and then, but then I would be able to write my stories at night and unsolved stories. And the stories that I wanted to write were, yeah, damn straight. I was trying to solve them. I wasn't, you know, in the in, but it was always within the context of the narrative. But I definitely wanted to push the ball forward in some way, shape, or form. Uh, around that time, after like my second story, I became involved with this group called the Parents of Murdered Children, and I became their media advisor. And people would contact me via the group and say, you know, my son was murdered five years ago. Nobody's talking about the case. What can I do? And then I would give them instructions and and ideas on what to do and how to approach different news media. You know, but, you know, you're writing stories with 
with no endings for so long. When I came up with the the ideas on how to do this, these types of investigations using social media, whenever I introduced myself to a family member or a uh, law enforcement officer, I always introduced myself as a victim's advocate. Mm-hmm. I do I do add journalist at the end of that just so they know that I'm not like that. I, at least I have some sort of semblance of rules and I've been, I've been in the, in the business and I know that there's decorum and there's, there's, there's a set of rules there, but I always introduce myself as a victim's advocate first. Now the podcast that you're making now, what is it for? Like what is, cause there is, it does seem like there's a purpose to this podcast. Yeah. Like what is the vision here? The vision is it's, it's an extension of the book. You know, I wrote the book and when I was finishing up the book, I was like, well, all right, this book is going to come out. People are going to read it. People are going to listen to it. And then what? And I have all these other cases that I've covered and all these other cases that are out there that I think that, that people can help with on a crowdsourcing, crowdsolving level. And when I would see these cases and I would always say, well, why can't people identify who this woman in this picture is? Or why can we not identify who this killer is? I thought, you know what, this might be the right way. So I wrote up an outline. And then right around that time, I had brought Paul Holes on as a surprise to the My Favorite Murder show for uh, Georgia and Karen. And then right after that, Karen said, OK, if anybody has to do a podcast, just ask us first, please. Yeah. And I said, well, actually, you know what? Look at this. And they were like, holy shit, that's great. And I said, and I'm thinking about asking Paul to do it because me and Paul had gotten to know each other through, you know, Golden State Killer and the book and everything. And we had a really good rapport and it just all clicked. It all like made sense. So um, that's how it came to be. And it was about the idea that Paul wanted to continue to do investigations and, and not only not just talk about Golden State Killer, because he has a lot of other investigations, some of them that that he hasn't solved yet. We're actually getting into his cases. Like I think episode nine is is one of his cases that kind of haunts him that he's that we're working on. And uh, the amount of people that are into true crime right now, and I've never wanted anything that I wrote, that's the reason why I only wanted to write Unsolved, to be anything salacious. I always want to put the emphasis on the victim and on the investigation. How do we harness all of these people that are watching and listening to these podcasts and these audiobooks? How do we harness that power towards actually solving these crimes? Right. I think that there's just a matter of sharing information. Uh, The whole idea behind me coming up with the idea of using social media to solve crimes and buying targeted advertising and things is that I'm a product of this fractured media landscape. Mm. And there's a reason why nobody is seeing these wanted posters or these images, these grainy images and being able to call it in. If you show those 40 years ago, you know, everybody was just watching three channels. And they were they were all reading the newspaper, but nobody does that anymore. So you have to hit people where they are. And that's with social media. And uh, if I can get 500,000 people that are really into this on on this team to share stuff and not only share stuff on social media, but even print out photographs or or bring your your camera. And then at the next Thanksgiving dinner, after everybody has eaten and before everybody falls to sleep, from the tryptophan, you, you show, you know, your grandmother, hey, you lived in Southern California um, back then. You know, you're not showing him a gory picture, but do you remember this woman? Because uh, her picture was found in this guy's apartment, et cetera. Like just talking about the Bradford case, the first one that we did. There is an opportunity to get some answers. And we've actually gotten some from the first case. We've gotten some really, really solid tips on who some of those women are that we focused on. We focused on kind of five women that we thought were identifiable. Hmm. And um 
we we all think that they're and including the investigator thinks that you know what this actually might be might be good so we're just waiting on that stuff so here's the thing there are um the crowdsourcing investigations and there's a lot of people out there who are earnestly being asked to help and are earnestly helping and then there are people out there and i'm sure you've encountered them in your work who actually can harm a the progress of the investigation or b help uh some irresponsibly released information be disseminated that can improperly accuse people uh, and lead to people being harassed in person do you ask your listeners, your readers, people that you are asking to help, do you ask them, do you, do you sort of, or demonstrate for them, be good here, please oh, be every, good here, be right here, do, do the right thing, be a human being. Epi- every episode we go over the rules. Mm-hmm. And in my audiobook, I go over the rules even before I tell people how to do stuff because the rules are so important. And the rules are, number one, you never name names in public, ever. You, if you find a name, if you find out anything like that, you send it to the authorities, that's it. Number two is you don't bring that, bring any information that you get to the victim's family. You bring it to the authorities. Mm-hmm. And, it, and uh, number three is you're not going to always get credit and you're not going to get information back from the authorities. You know, I've been able to gain trust from some of them, but some police officers will just take it, take the stuff that I give them and then not, not say anything. Some like, as you see in the audio book or here in the audio book, you, you know, there's a great relationship and there's a partnership because they get it. Right. And especially after I've, I help them solve one, and they get the collar, and then they're just, they send, start sending me more and more, and and that's great. But it's you're not always going to get that. Yeah. And so those are the three biggest rules, and we go over them every. T- and the, the fourth rule is don't dox each other because that's one of the things that happens within these citizen sleuth communities is you start getting people mad at each other and yelling at each other within the groups, and then they start spilling out information. You know, everybody's like, listen. Bottom line is there's somebody that's either missing or has been murdered. Put all your egos aside. You're trying to help. Just do. We're trying to get one thing, which is justice, or find somebody, and that's it. You got to put everything aside and just do the right thing and follow these rules. And we go over that every episode, and that was a big part in the book. The rules are more important than anything because people can really screw this up. We saw that in Boston in the Boston Marathon bombing. Yep. When I when that was unfolding, I was watching it, going, "This could be the moment that citizen sleuthing could, you know, break out." And it went awry because people named names. And Sunil Tripathi, the kid from uh, Brown University, got, you know, his name got wrapped up in it and because he had gone missing and he looked a little bit like one of the bombers. And, uh, you know, his family was harassed. You had people going on, you had journalists looking on Reddit and then taking that and putting it on the front cover of the New York Post with the sagging backpacks. You, you had things that just weren't doing well. Uh, um, for journalists were, were, were not that the post is, 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 um, is the, the height of journalism, but <laughs> journalists weren't following the rules that they were supposed to know. And citizen detectives certainly weren't as well in, in the, um, and on Reddit, but there were two things that came out of the citizen detectives in that community that actually was really good. They identified the hat of bomber number one that was wearing before the, um, the FBI did it right. was a Bridgestone golf hat. That was boom. They got it within 10 minutes. And um, that was good because some people say, all right, do you know anybody that has this has this hat? And the second thing was that um, they one of the citizens found the clearest picture of bomber number two uh, walking away from the scene, um, a super clear photo. And they found that online. I think they found it on Facebook, just going through a bunch of pictures. Right. So it can happen. It can work. It just has to be you have to follow the rules. 
Thanks again to Billy Jensen, co-host of The Murder Squad and author of the new audiobook, Chase Darkness With Me. And of course, he's got a bunch of other credentials, too. What you heard there was just a small part of my conversation with Billy. I've included the full audio, which is about half an hour long, in our CWO Patreon after show, so you can hear that now. Uh, Billy and I talk about all kinds of stuff, including our shared memories growing up on Long Island. And of course, you can get that now in your Patreon feed or at <laughs> patreon.com slash partners in crime media. It's relevant. I promise it's relevant. He talks about that in the book. I feel like I'm missing out on something in life by not growing up on Long Island. Well, you miss out on like being- Like a serial killer. I mean, are you a cookie puss person or are you a fudgy the whale person? We discussed that. I'm a cookie o puss. <laughs> yeah, cookie St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, cookie o puss. What about you, Laura? Are you a cookie puss person or a fudgy the whale person? Uh, neither. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know about Carvel? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. We didn't have that in Vermont. Ooh. <laughs> I was always a brown bonnet girl myself. All right. So the thing that I want to talk about, the murder squad, I mean, I, I was kind of trying to get to this with Billy, but uh-huh. like, he's so earnest about like, well, I just made a podcast and we're going to have people solve crimes for us, right? Yeah. But who is this for really, Kevin, do you think? People who want to solve oh. crimes? People want to just be a part of the experience of solving no, crimes? No, I think it's for people who want to solve crimes. Really? I, yeah, I do. I do. Because there is that audience out there. You know, there are people that will, you know, listen to the, you know, fill in the blank, you know, law and liquor or, you know, all those talkers. <laughs> liquor is quicker. Liquor is quicker. The difference, you know, between that is where you have a bunch of people sitting around with no bona fides drinking, you know, tonight's selection of microbrew or, yeah. uh, you know, grape or grain. Then you, you've got like an actual investigator who's like done these Cases and he's presenting a lot of cases that he has uh, has some experience with, and, and others where they're just sort of you know bringing in their professional point of view. So it's different in that way. But I mean, there's a real acknowledgement that there is an audience of armchair detectives who think that they have something to contribute, and so he's trying to responsibly engage them. He is trying to responsibly engage them. And Laura, you heard him sort of run through the rules that he gives this community of amateur investigators. What do you think of his rules? And do you think people will follow them? I don't know. I mean, I I hope they do. It's just I guess I'm it's it's hard because you want to put the information out there. You want, you know, to try to help solve crimes. But people sometimes make bad decisions and you and special guest our buddy special guest our buddy uh, maybe it's the possum is back again so I think you just know I think you have to go into it knowing that you're taking that risk and maybe I don't know if that sort of informs how much information you put out there because you know that you know people might not necessarily follow the same rules that you do but hopefully people are gonna you know be good people well Toby you Uh, are generally suspicious of the crowdsourced investigation Uh, What do you think of this earnest attempt to try to do it in a way that will be helpful and not harmful? You know, I think his his rules are are pretty well thought out. Uh, Again, the question is whether people will actually follow them. But, you know, it's an experiment. You know, he's he's given it a shot. So, and you know, I think they bring more to it, like as Kevin was saying, than a lot of other podcasts do. I'll be interested to see how it goes. Best of luck to them. You know, hopefully it works out. Yeah. And Toby, your note to me, which I will follow, so I'm not going to leave you hanging. It was um, you were expecting something worse when you first started listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I do think that, you know, again, and and I've talked about this plenty of times. and I don't need to go through all the points again. But, you know, the whole crowdsourcing thing does kind of sketch me out a little bit. I think they're trying to make it an honest attempt to try and mitigate that. And then again, I mean, they, they, they do like know what they're talking about, or at least 
more than I would. You know, when, when I was listening to it, I mean, I, I definitely, it's not the kind of thing I would normally listen to because it's it's really, it's like serial killers and yeah. getting into the details and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I just, that's not something I would choose to listen to. But if I if I had to, these guys like have a nice rapport and, you know, know what they're talking about and and all that kind of stuff. So, again, it's not my kind of thing, but I hope it works out for them because they're taking the right approach. So hopefully they get an audience and it it works out well. Well, they do have an audience. I mean, they have been charting. So we know that people are listening. I would say that my um, like sort of critiques of this podcast are very production oriented. I do think there's a lot of repetition because I think there's not a lot of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the interviews with the investigators that they bring in. In fact, Roxanne Grunhind, my favorite character from Bearbrook, is on the uh, uh, Allenstown 4 episode of of this mur- the Murder Squad, which is fun. And I, I like that they had the perspective. And I, I would just say also they should start the episode by reminding the listener exactly who they are and, and why they're qualified to do it. Paul Holes is a very, very qualified person to do this kind of uh, story and to, you know, actually be investigating it still. He's not a not a podcaster amateur. He's a real legit dude. And I think that they don't really tell us that. And I think yeah. I, I imagine if you're new to the if you don't know anything about well, they, these they dudes, say it up front, but sort of. But they don't yeah. really like. Yeah. Not explicitly. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be helpful. What do you think, Laura? Yeah, I totally agree. Because I was like, so who are these people? They sound pretty legit, but I, I don't know. I know the lady from My Favorite Murder. Like she sounds familiar. But yeah, I wish I wish they'd had a little bit more of like kind of tooting their own horns. So we kind of knew. Oh, OK. Um, you know, a little bit more of the background. Yeah, I think it would help listeners. And also, I totally understand um, the interest in including the My Favorite Murder Ladies. I mean, they sort of are in podcasting, they're in their network, but they also are kind of, they're not using them, I think, to their best talents in this podcast. Just, who's not using whom? The podcast is not using the My Favorite Murder Ladies. Karen? In a, and Georgia's on one, I believe, too, in a way that it was bringing more to it. They're just uh-huh. kind of there. Yeah. Which is fine. But I don't, but I think they could be well, using them differently, and yeah. they haven't figured that but out. But again, yet. still, I mean, you have they have different bona fides. True. You know, it's you've got a journalist and you've got an actual law enforcement officer yep. and comedian slash podcaster who likes crime. That's right. You know, so maybe I'm just you know, jealous because I want to be in the in the podcast. That's what I should think it should be me. It should be you. <laughs> All right. All right, we just got to the root of okay, it. Okay, Jensen Holes. George and Karen are fine. Yeah, you yeah. should just keep them. It's really just my jealousy that's yeah, like yeah, poking yeah. through here. <laughs> now, Toby, can I just like point to one other really interesting comment that Toby made? Yeah. I love this. Uh, and Toby, you don't have to comment. I just want to like, I, I just love the way Toby phrase this. You know, we talk about sometimes like podcasts, like we like them, we respect them, but it's not for us, mm-hmm. right? Toby wrote, I kind of feel like I'm reviewing wine. It's not the kind of thing I like, so I don't know why anyone would care what I think about this particular instance. (laughs) You know what I originally wrote? What? I originally wrote, it's kind of like me reviewing Fleetwood Mac albums. (laughs) (laughs) But then I switched it to one. Toby, you can go fuck yourself. Fleetwood Mac is awesome. (laughs) I thought that might be the reaction. Wow. Oh, my God. You just got Stevie nicked in the balls. (laughs) Toby and I have had this ongoing uh, internet feud about... Fleetwood Mac fandom. I just don't get why. I mean, I grant. I understand people don't like the Christy McVie songs. Totally get that. I mean, as my sister says, she could work at an office. Yeah. But the Stevie Nicks stuff, like, how can not everybody love that? Like, what's the matter she with you, Toby? Bugs the hell out of me. Sorry, sorry, Toby. That's really unfortunate. All right, Kevin. Final thoughts on the Murder Squad. Well, you know, for that kind of genre in the true crime area, I think it, it brings something new, which is people who, you know, have some real chops. 
uh, in the information area. You know, if you're looking for something with a lot of sexy music and high production value, this is probably not it, not it yet. But they are doing, you know, interviews and they are bringing, playing like actual tape from interviews and from trials and stuff like that. So they are building it. It does have more meat on the bones than a lot of other of these talkers. Yes, it does. That, uh, it arguably are than ours, too. <laughs> well, arguably than ours, yes. But there's a whole... There's, I mean, what we don't need is another podcast that people drink booze and read from Wikipedia. We do not. Moving on. Q-Code and Endeavor Audio bring a prestige drama to podcasting starring and executive produced by Oscar winner Rami Malek. Set in northern New Hampshire, Blackout follows a small-town disc jockey as he attempts to navigate a world suddenly without power or communications, wondering whether there are nefarious actors bent on forcing modern society to revert to simpler times. Don't get me wrong. People in the North Country, they love quiet. But there's quiet and there's silence. Blackout attempts to stand out with quality acting, a story rich in theme, and an ambitious soundscape. What will become of our hero and his family in this post-apocalyptic granite state? We will be discussing plot points for Blackout, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, jump to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. All right, let's just get it out of the way at the beginning. Whenever there's a story set where you live, a place you know, you're always going to have problems with the details. So can we just talk about things that only the four of us would find problematic and not the rest of the world? Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't think it's fair to say only the four of us because it's it's not accurate, which means that it's Rebecca, like— Rebecca, everything is set someplace, and you're going to say <sighs> if everything in the South has the wrong accent. Right. You know, But this is can we just egregious. Tell so I think if you're, if you're from New England, let's yeah. just say the four of us and if you're from New England are going to find it ridiculous. What are they going to find ridiculous, Laura? Well, I'm so conflicted on this, but it drove me bonkers. It's like everybody that took part in it really wanted to have an accent that was— their version of a Berlin accent, but we had the Gloucester accent. We had the down East Maine accent. We had the Marky Mark Boston accent. <laughs> yeah. Over here, guys. Whoa. Huh? Oh, Kira. Look at you, you little pyro. <laughs> Quick, get me some of those bigger pieces starting to catch. At least we won't freeze. Just wish we had some food. Seriously. Oh, I have some granola bars. Even better than those. I brought the bourbon. Great. Yeah, that's really practical, Lincoln. All right, settle in, kids, and get cozy. It's going to be a long night. So, like, if they had had one consistent northern New Hampshire accent, I didn't even hear a northern New Hampshire accent because that, and that was what drove me the most batshit about this was like, okay, so we got all these accents. Where's the New Hampshire accent? It's not here. There is a, I mean, my college roommate was from Berlin, so I spent some time there. I did have some sorority initiation things that may have taken place up there. I've I've been there. I didn't hear anybody in this podcast that sounded like they were from there. Did you ever call in a request to the moose? <laughs> <laughs> that was like I was like, is this northern exposure? <laughs> um, so it wasn't just it wasn't just the, I mean, the accents were egregious. Right, yeah. They were egregious. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But if any of the four of us gives thumbs down to this podcast be because, because of, of this, yes. I'm going to say. 
you're an asshole. But there were so many other things that there's details. I mean, yeah. this is what stuck out to me. Okay. Wasn't just details about the New Hampshire stuff, just details in general. See, like, I, I, I'm okay with like the, you know, I, I'm also like, yeah, those accents are misplaced. But I understand why we have characters who are using them because you have to set up, I believe, what they're trying to do is set up a difference between the quote unquote natives yeah. and the, even though they've been there for the, all their lives, the outsiders. Uh, the main character in the family who like have moved, lived there for 18 years. So like there's a separation. You know, in radio drama and audio drama, that's the only there's no costumes. Right. You don't see who's tall, who's short. The only way you create the characters are with the voices and that's a thing is, you know, the accent. What is the purpose of that accent? The fact that like this guy, uh, you know, the teenager's friend, Lincoln, who actually sounds like a 30-year-old guy from uh, <laughs> from Chelsea. <laughs> It doesn't yeah, sound, no, you totally. know, yeah, he sounds like too old. This is how they set people apart by, you know, kind of dividing them like that. But let's so. be real. There are ways to do it that is just acting. Mm-hmm. And then there are ways to do it that is ham-fisted writing. Mm-hmm. Or good and writing. I would argue that the setup for this podcast has a, by the way, spectacularly good opening sonic scene. Inspector 12, maintain at 6400. Copy that. Inspector 12, what's your RPM? RPM 64, I have a visual of the White Mountains now. And then we're immediately dropped into a world, in episode one, where the character development in the script, I don't care that it's audio, because when you have a scene where you have kids in the house with their parents... And they're sort of arguing, and then they like one of them says something about an Ivy League school, and the mom is like, "Oh, you're talking about me." It's like, okay, we get it that you guys are smarter than all the people around you. Your kids are super earnest, they're super clever. It just felt very, very ham-fisted to me. The mm-hmm. sort of setup for this podcast, Toby. What did you think about you know the writing, especially in these sort of setup scenes for this show? I didn't think it was good. I I don't know. The whole thing just seemed a little underwhelming. It seemed like a not particularly well thought out short story in some ways in that the characters, they're all sort of types and you just don't really get a sense of much inner life in them. You're like, you can sort of figure out like, okay, this guy's this way and this guy's this way and this guy's this way, but they're not very complicated. And the dialogue is, is really kind of rough like the way the teenagers talk mm. and interact with each other. Like, <laughs> I've got I've got kids on either end of that, and that's not the way they interact. I think they had a good, basic, like, what if there was a nationwide blackout and we just focused on this one little community and what happened there? Like, that's kind of an interesting concept. But then I think, like, the writing, I don't, don't think was very good. And I think sort of the direction that the story takes is just kind of odd yeah i kind of feel like i can see where like some of the ideas came from but the actual execution it's not all that compelling unfortunately yeah i know where the ideas came from too toby they came from every stephen king novel ever written <laughs> where there's, where there's no like, it is it's like yeah. it's like b it's like not even b like c level yes stephen king set in new hampshire yes you have the outsider man and family mm-hmm. at the center who's not from here you have some somewhat sort of, educated more somewhat than everybody else. More educated, yeah. more like sort of prescient than everybody else, with also a narrator's voice who can sort of like talk about it like in a lofty way. Mm-hmm. And then you have some big thing that happens to everybody, and then immediately everybody gets sorted by sorting hats into good guys and bad guys. 
And that basically is a Stephen King novel. That is The Stand. That is mm-hmm. the the time travel one. That is like Carrie. That is like so many Stephen King books. And that's kind of what this is in its in its purest form. And by the way, I just I'm I just wanted to say this right now. I'm not going to shit on this podcast the entire time because there are things about it that I also really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was saying it a minute ago about the details and why it was disappointing. The writer behind this podcast is Scott Conroy. A successful novelist Mm -hmm. and obviously this podcast had a tremendous amount of resources and yet in the script there are just such weird glaring little mistakes like they say barn owl instead of barred owl like they i mean i know that sounds like a stupid thing but there's tons of stuff like that there's so many things like that there's a weird thing where like you know their mistakes well there's a weird thing where simon is in the hospital after getting shot and we hear the power go out this ooh noise Uh uh-oh uh-oh uh oh, aren't you on a generator here? Yeah, but I can't remember the last time we had to use it. Things might get interesting real fast if they don't get that power back on soon. Well, if the generator's not on and the power's out, we should not be hearing the beep beep. There's a lot of just sloppy stuff like that that, for me, especially the first couple episodes, took me out of it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of like my like main production complaint. But let's move on and talk about some of the story elements. Um, Laura, this idea of like New England people hearkening back to colonial times or the witch yes. trials or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of getting to their baser side. Give me liberty. That I was like, what the hell that's is that? right. Yeah. Live free or die. Uh, you have neighbors like this, right? I do. Well, you know, I, I don't have as many. <laughs> Neighbor Dan is not like that. Neighbor Dan's kind of a big liberal. But I will say in, in different parts of New Hampshire and, and, you know, northern New Hampshire especially, there's a lot of people that are sort of coming from a different place, maybe off the grid, maybe doing things a little more naturally. I actually interviewed somebody this week who still didn't even have a cell phone. What? And said, uh, yeah, had no desire to have a cell phone because... They wanted to live their life without interruption. So that part of it, you know, as kind of hokey as it was to be like, oh, who's this weird guy in the woods that's like kind of like mysteriously living off the grid and dead now. But there are people like that. There's people up there that have camps that live out there and really live pretty minimally. Um, You know, I remember going up to visit Berlin when I was in college and it was so fun. We had uh, friends that came, you know, from out of state that were, you know, college friends of mine that had never, you know, like from New Jersey or something, they had never seen a moose and or, or trees in, in this level. And it was like, what is this place? And like, it's northern New Hampshire people. I wish it had been done a little bit differently, but it definitely some of it does ring true to me. Kevin, what do you think about Berlin as a setting? This is another detail. Berlin is not a tiny town. Berlin is actually a city. It's a very small city. It's a very small city, but it just qualifies yeah. a city, which is what, 30,000 or whatever or not, yeah, whatever yeah. a city is. What do you think of sort of the setting of that? And also the, the protagonist, Simon, being a radio, I keep, I keep calling a DJ, which is weird. He's like a host, right? He's playing music. And he's he works at a radio station, yeah. The Moose, which apparently he can make a living at doing in northern New Hampshire, <laughs> which is like a lot of like stretches no. there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that? But his wife teaches at a college. Yes. What college? Berlin University. White Mountain Community College. White Mountain Community College, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I mean, if you're going to, I I don't know if how well the uh, the writers actually know the area. But look, if I'm going to, if I want to place this near the border with Canada, because it's a plot point, yep. and I want to find a town that has been through, you know, economically depressed times yep. to give motivation to the, the neighbors for wanting to have this, uh, uh, you know, this, this coup to 
economy. Yeah. That's a good pick, you know, because we do know that, like, when the paper mill shut down, it has sprung 30 to actually 50 years of economic decline in that whole region because that the paper and the pulp mill ran everything. And it's like the character of Dale who comes from Pittsburgh yeah. because the steel mill, mill shuts down. And there's, you know, there, there's these kinds of stories in different places across the country. So, you know, and also there's got to be a sense of isolation. Yeah. So I think I think Berlin's, you know, a fairly good pick, you know, if you're going to put it somewhere. Plus, I also think the live free or die model is a, another thematic thing. A plot that, point. Yeah. Uh, not a plot point, but certainly a theme. Hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Laura. Um, well, one other thing I was going to say about Berlin, because, you know, I'm thinking about Berlin. I mean, one thing that comes to mind, you know, in recent years that would have been a really interesting plot point in this is, you know, now they have the federal prison there. And mm-hmm. that's that's one of the ways they've brought jobs back to that area of the state is this federal prison. So they have all these people that have come into work there. And, you know, so that's going on. Another interesting thing that's happened there in recent years is there has been a shitload of arson fires. Mm. I mean, that whole town, like for a while, they had like a special task force up there because so many, because they had just like old buildings and houses that had not been maintained and they were just going up so often. So, you know, I I kind of like wish they had played a little off of sort of current events because I think having the prison up there and having that part of the story might have been a really interesting angle. Well, it is, Do you know what you need to get a job at the federal prison in Berlin? What? A bachelor's degree. Yeah. But you also know that the prison is a part of the story because Lincoln's dad works at the prison and he's talked about like- What's happened to all those prisoners for the past 30 days? (laughs) I don't know. That's what I want to know. Like, why are they not breaking out? Are they trading moose skins, hides too to get- Moose uh, meat for syrup? Maple syrup. (laughs) If there's no power, aren't they like locked in the prison? That's what I want to know. Toby, what are you going to say? You know, when, when the whole thing comes up where it's like, we're going back to the old ways and- you know, it reminded me, do you guys remember, like, I don't know if it was like six years ago or four years ago or whatever, but uh, when the Republicans, like in New Hampshire, like every fifth person is basically in our state house. We have the largest. Yeah. 400 people in our state. 400 people. Yeah. I thought it was 500. It's 424. Yeah. 424. But people are always yeah. dying. Anyway, so, but I know what okay. you're talking about. You're talking about 2012 when we had sort of like that big sweep in of- The Republican. And then there's there's a couple guys who introduced legislation that said that any new legislation you had to point to a place in the Magna Carta oh, that yeah. like legitimized it. <laughs> yeah. And the guys who are running the Republican Party were like, uh, the, the instincts are good, but you know <laughs> we're not actually- going to go right to the Magna Carta and like tell the Mary can't sleep with people's wives or whatever before their weddings. But yeah, so that was, I, you know, I kind of thought like, it's like ridiculous as I thought those scenes were, it's like, there actually is like some reality that you can point to, to be like, you know, people. Oh yeah. That exists. Like they want to go back to like Mm -hmm. the very freaking beginning. Right. Well, we have a ton of libertarians here too, which is like. See, that's why it should have been in Keene. That 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 was the big mistake. They (laughs) should have placed it all in Keene. They should have. They should have. We have a movement here for our listeners who don't know called the Free State Movement, where I don't know, like ten years ago or longer, a bunch of uh, a bunch of libertarians around the country sort of banded together and decided New Hampshire would be a place they would move and kind of take over, get get into government positions, buy businesses. They've actually been pretty successful. There's a bunch of free staters in our legislature. Some of them are registered as Democrats. Or Republicans, but they're actually mm-hmm. free staters. A lot of businesses owned by people who came in here from the free state movement, and they have 
had some influence just sort of on our the way we talk about things here. It's just it's happened. This is that kind of place where that can happen. And it's very interesting, which leads me back to the plot here. Because we have this like, guy in the woods, Dale, who's like the hermit in the cabin. We find out that Simon's wife, uh, who also seems like an outsider like him, grew up here and she knows how to like shoot animals. And apparently she can single-handedly cut enough wood to get them through months of winter by herself. She's sturdy. <laughs> She's very sturdy. Um, wow. I mean, I'm not sure where this is going, but I think this is like immediately, like almost too quickly – they sort of intimate that some of the townsfolk were in on this like nationwide blackout situation. Is this a domestic terror story, you think? Is this where this is going? No, I mean I think it's a it's a modern take on like War of the Worlds and the day after. I mean it's you know, until we really find out sort of the plot behind the plot, then, you know, what do you want to label these people as, you know, anarchists or domestic terrorists or whatever, but I'm more or less just kind of going with the story. It's a little not... bit Handmaid's Tale, too, if you think about it. Is. It is. I yeah. mean, like, you know, for real. I mean, it's like 30 days after people lose power, they're already, like, you know, trading hides. <laughs> you know, my, your money's Never no tough. good here. Yeah. No, not need money. No, you got something to trade? You know, but, we're, but we're starving. Yeah. yeah. And they run out of gas, like, on day two, and people are running for Canada and shooting guns, and yes. it's like... <laughs> You know, it's like we had, it's, you know, it's, well, we don't know what's happening with the power. I have a question. We just kind of like sit around. Everybody's got a generator. You know, yeah. they'd be and, like, well, yeah, right, we'll no just kidding. wait till the power comes back on. And like 30 days later in New Hampshire, we'd be going, you know, I, I think maybe the power's not coming back on. <laughs> Do you think that we'd be out celebrating Halloween if the power's been out for 30 days? No, we wouldn't if we're like begging for food from one another. <laughs> we're like, where are you going to get candy? You're going to drive to to yeah. Gorham to get to the last Snickers bar and hope some kid comes there and give it to him? It's like, fuck that. I'm, if there's candy in the house, I'm eating the candy. Right. Oh, my God. I'm not giving it to You're some like beggar. I'll like, raccoon ears or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Toby, do you think that, um, I'm just going to say it, I think that the acting is super uneven in this podcast. Some of the people are fine, and other yeah. people are just fucking terrible. Toby, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, as a matter of fact, that was kind of how I started, like, identifying people. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I was having a hard time keeping track of, there's a couple guys, and they may just be the same person. Yeah. But um, there are actors playing multiple characters in this. I looked at the uh, credits. Uh-huh. I kind of found it super confusing. The only ones that I really was confident in were the two teenage boys. There wasn't enough distinguishing certain people. I'm not the ideal consumer for this, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin? Well, you know, one of the cast people there is Jolene Kent. Yes. Who's actually from NBC and the MSNBC. News yeah. She's not she's in it play- much. She's playing a journalist, and I got to tell you, she nails it. <laughs> Do you think Rami? So, Mami so much of the, the point where I'm like, whoever's doing like the journalist really has that down. Yeah. The TV, like, yeah. They're I'm not like a- poor Rami Malik, who sounds nothing like somebody who would be on the radio. <laughs> I mean, no. he's fine, but he doesn't even know like who won the Red Sox game last night, which is literally something you would find out because you're on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, so he goes to the, the coffee shop and he's like, who won the Red Sox? So I, I don't know. You were supposed to tell us. I know. I like the um, young woman or woman who plays uh, the son's girlfriend, the hard scrabble backstory girl. The one with the voice, yeah. She's appealing. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it's just was like her mo- is her mom the one that she was like oh she won't notice if i'm yes, not home exactly yeah. she yeah. just like moved mm-hmm. in with simon's family meanwhile all these yeah. other people are freaking out because they're missing kids but nobody's asking where poor jade or whatever her name went no that's not her she's the other one. Oh, the whole thing is so confusing i don't hate it i have to say i'm kind of intrigued by this whole concept <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of exciting what's exciting what's gonna happen next i mean i'm like oh my god it's like all this chaos and I, I'm kind of, you know, like the, the trial, the people that are like collecting people and dragging them to the jail. And uh, it's like it's it's really it's really something. Toby, I have a narrative question for you because I asked Kevin yes. this and, you know, it just seems like so typical whenever stories like this are set in small towns or rural places, like really any book, movie, TV show. And this again It's always like at the center of it, somebody who's an outsider, who's like smarter, more educated or whatever, and is now just living here and he's like become one of the people. Why can't it just be like a person who's from there ever at the center of a story like this? Well, I I guess I guess there's a couple different things, one of which is I think part of the suspense is what are these weird customs and are you like as an outsider, are you like in greater jeopardy? than you would be if you were one of the people and are you as an out group you don't really understand certain things like is it a big plot or whatever and they all have their secrets that you don't know i mean i think that's like a lot of the kind of building up suspense yeah i mean it's a, it's a good point and it seems like a creative thing would be to try and build that same atmosphere but have somebody who's not an outsider like not getting it. Yeah. It's that a is kind of weird. And then, the, and then the educated thing too. But again, and, and sometimes I think, you know, it's also like the author is like, this is my stand in. Mm. Like I'm pretty educated. And what if I lived in this weird little town yep. and everybody was kind of creepy. So I think that's <laughs> the other. What if? That's why every single yeah. protagonist in almost every Stephen King book is a writer. Or a teacher. Like, everyone's a writer or a teacher. You got to write what you know. <laughs> right. It's always a man. But, it's like, but there's a ton of stuff like that. Like, Straw Dogs, mm. like that movie, it's like the same thing. It's some guy comes in and rents a house, and he's like this intellectual, and there's a bunch of creepy, like, you know, ne'er-do-wells in the town yeah. that menace him. Yeah. So it's it's like, it's not just Stephen King. It's like all these things. Right. How can that woman both run that store and be a power grabber and also be the judge at a fake trial? She's very busy, right? She's busy. busy. You know, she's like that guy that's in Gilmore Girls. What's the, what's the mayor in Gilmore Girls? <laughs> exactly. Taylor? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that guy has a lot of time on his hands, too, just saying. Yes. Uh, and Toby, you had one uh, quick beef. It's speaking of details with something about the radio station and Led Zeppelin. What was that? They just, the guy's like, yeah, I just put on Led Zeppelin too. I'm just going to let it play. And then in the background, there's music that is absolutely not Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and I'm just like, why would you, why, why don't you just make up something? Like, why do you, why are you so specific? They were sure they and were going to get the needle drop fee on that. Yeah. Well, um, all that being said, I'm not sure how much of like the actual content and uh, plot details we got into. I mean, I think you could probably read many Stephen King books or even like watch the Simpsons movie and get a lot of the plot of this podcast. (laughs) So I think we should do what we do. Let's go around the horn and let our listeners know, should they check out Blackout, the new hit podcast from Endeavor Audio that has, by the way, a very fancy sponsor in Sonos Mm. and takes place in our very own Granite State, New Hampshire. Laura Bricker, what do you think? I'm going to start with you. 
Well, so I'm kind of conflicted about this podcast because I'm intrigued by the concept, okay? I like that it's it's not like Homecoming where we're just hearing things through phone calls. We've got lots of different actors playing roles in this. It's in New Hampshire. I mean, you know what? I don't love it, but I'm also sort of intrigued by it. So I'm going to say take a listen because it's kind of... It's kind of crazy. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me right now. Um, a lot of it's pretty laughable. Like when the I was like walking on the track at the Y and this one lady in it started like being like, give me liberty. Or, I was like, what is this? But you know what? It's kind of interesting. It's something new. They're trying something new. And, you know, if you want something quirky, the episodes are short. They're like not even 30 minutes long. Um, give a listen. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Blackout from Endeavor Audio. You know, I, I give it a thumbs down. I, I I just don't. It's weird. Like I I don't I don't really get it. I don't I don't I don't understand why it's a podcast. Is another thing. Like I don't I don't see anything that it does that sort of takes advantage of this format. You know, I mean, it's just basically it's like dramatizing a short story. So rather than we're homecoming, where I think they you know they they made some clever use of you know, recordings and phone calls and all that stuff that that sort of seemed to fit with the podcast uh, format. Um, this just doesn't have any of that. So, yeah, I give it a thumbs down. I found it kind of disappointing. So I think this podcast is terrible in many ways and sloppy and hackneyed and basically plagiarized from a million other things that I have read. But I'm going to give it a thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of intriguing. Not because it's intriguing, but because it's trashy. And it, it like it's pretending not to be uh-huh. with Rami Malek starring in it. This like really good actor who kind of has one note in this whole thing and is totally underutilized. And I find myself thinking like, why do they have the dialogue going left channel, right channel? Because I'm like listening and I have only one earphone in and I'm like, this is super fucked up. There's just a lot about it that's just not good and wrong, but I'm enjoying listening to it because the sonic experience is really good and because I kind of see what happens with this super shitty acting story. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I'm also a thumbs up uh, for a lot of those reasons, actually. I, I do have Sono speakers. I did take their advice and listen to it on a Sono speaker, and it sounds good. But it doesn't sound as good as listening to it with, through headphones. Yeah, it's a sonic experience. It, yeah, it really is. That has really set it apart. I liked Rami Malek's performance. Um, it's a it's an interesting story. Is it completely original? No, we've seen you know versions uh, of this in other formats. Uh, is this you know going to be a movie? Probably or a TV show. A TV show. Yeah. Somebody going to buy the IP for this? Because yeah, that did. seems to be yeah. You know the way that these things are rolling these days. People th- see podcasts as a proving ground for certain entertainment concepts. So can we see that? Yeah. But you know, all in all, I I give it thumbs up. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week of the week. Whether it's Ocean's Eleven, The Thomas Crown Affair, or The Sting, every good plan in a caper movie needs a distraction, something to throw people off the scent from the real crime. We think that's what was happening at the Walmart in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Police say 25-year-old Benny Van brought his dog Bo in without a leash, and he ran free in the store, accosting customers and sowing confusion. While that was going on, Van's mother, Lisa Smith, began ripping apart displays and putting items in her cart. 
When security kicked her out, she proceeded to do karate moves in the parking lot. Meantime, while Bo was still prancing around the store, Van ripped off all his clothes and started running up and down the aisles grabbing new clothes off the racks. That's when Bo made his escape from the store with a box of Jiffy cornbread muffin mix in his mouth. The half-naked van then tried to avoid capture by attempting to run down a police officer with an electric scooter. Smith was taken into custody after doing a karate kick to the patrol car window. Van was arrested for disorderly conduct and lewd behavior. Police declined to press charges against the dog. (laughs) All right. Those cornbread Whoa. things are only about 99 cents Exactly. Yeah, I don't think that Bo <laughs> wow. like, knew what he was doing. So, panel, this gang may have gotten away with it if they just had one more distraction. Toby Ball, what other thing would have made this plan complete? They needed somebody doing the chicken dance. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Bricker, oh, what do you think is the one other thing that could have made this plan more complete? What was their plan exactly? I guess I'm, I'm a little unclear. A plan. Um, I don't even know. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think if they had had one more person that took one of those little... Um, you know, those little like um, shopping cart um, wheelchair things that you can get at the front. Oh, I know. I've been and on. And maybe had another animal like a possum, perhaps. <laughs> Pet possum, perhaps, in the store. Or maybe just like grandma could be in the little wheelie cart motorized thing, like running into people. Um, That's how we try to get I, away from the cops. <laughs> I don't really you know. You charge what's them happening. at slow speed. But I feel like. I, I'm so confused right now. There was like way too much going on in this story. <laughs> what is going on? Kevin, what do you think could have been another distraction that could help this gang get away with their plan? I think if they had a, a rhino poacher being chased by elephants mm. and lions, yes. I think it would have been a big enough distraction. And Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, just for you, Rebecca, we have two dogs this week. Thank goodness, two dogs. That's almost two, enough dogs. Because both of them were so adorable. So Becky Drews Henry sent us a photo of her son and his date taking pictures with the rescue puppies on their way to the prom. Oh, very cute. And I said, this is something that might happen in Rebecca Lavoie's house. Could happen. Um, it probably happened. And then uh, Rachel Bourne sent this really awesome. I was like, oh, I got to mention this. Donnie for Cat of the Week. Donnie is actually a service dog in training for Parker's Platoon, Hounds for Heroes. Uh, she's named in honor of Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Drejda, who served as a pilot in the Air Force for 35 years. Uh, Donnie will enter full service dog training when she's a year old and will be donated free of charge to a wounded veteran. Isn't that awesome? Aww. It's a little black lab. It's so cute. That so, is um, awesome. Yeah. And she's got she's got like um, like kind of like a, a canvas um, sort of little outfit on like um, like kind of like military like service dog in training. Um, so I like this little puppy. Do you think it's wrong that I like the prom dogs better than the service dog that's going to be given to a veteran? <laughs> well, the prom dogs, there's like three of them. There's one little fluffy little. Did you see their pictures? They're so adorable. I oh my did. God. I did. They're so adorable. And I love a good a teenage boy who loves dogs. I do. I can't yeah. help it. I can't help it. Was it was very cute. So. All right, Laura Bricker, if people want to try to touch my heart by submitting their dogs to be cat of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. 
Kevin Flynn, stop trying to touch my heart right now. <laughs> it wasn't your heart. Toby Ball, people oh. want to reach out to you and uh, commiserate on your feelings about Blackout and your feelings about Led Zeppelin and perhaps your feelings about Fleetwood Mac. How can they find you online? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, people want to reach out to you and just tell you how damn handsome you are. How can they find you online? Oh, baby, do that at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you will get the Crime Writers On after show right now. You'll also get Mary with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Leave It to Bricker, Laura Bricker's spectacular new podcast that is keeping people from being cheap and forcing them to go from 5 to $6 a month on our <laughs> Patreon. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we keep our secret natural gas-fired generator for the sole purpose of playing fake Led Zeppelin rarities. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you... Later. Later. Tell us about your first car. Toby, what was your first car? My first car? Um, It was a hand-me-down. It was my grandfather's, like, BMW from, like, I don't know. It was probably, like, a dozen years old by the time I got it. And I was working at Ames, Mm. and everybody thought it was a Mercedes Benz. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a lot of cachet. Nice. <laughs> I remember Ames. Ames's. Yeah. Ames's. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so I told you. I told they, you how I got screwed Ames's. by Ames, right? Yeah, screwed by Ames. Yeah, because they had a um, new motto contest for what we were going to have on our name tags, uh-huh. and my entry was "We Ames to please," <laughs> <laughs> and I lost. The winning one was Ames. We care. Which was bullshit. Not as good. Not as good. Not as good. iconic luxury items at unreal values with The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury from top designers at up to 90% off retail. Every item is authenticated by The Real Real's team of experts and new arrivals come in daily. New customers receive an automatic $25 off at checkout. Shop in-store, online, or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. Real. TheRealReal.com, promo code REAL. Real. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.